Let's go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to jump in in verse 16. And I'm excited to be in the Word tonight. Um, we were talking about what passage we were going to preach next or which uh, book. And I threw out the idea of Colossians. And as I've dug into it over this last little bit, it, it's, it's a bigger blessing than I thought it would be. Um, I think the main reason that I wanted to go to Colossians is this section here in uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through uh, 20-ish. And it's a clear picture of who Christ is, and I just love it so much. And as we dig more into the book, I realize more and more just how much we actually need that, Casey. I don't even think I understood how much we actually needed it. And as we dig into it, um, I see it. And one of the things that Tim shared with us in the, on the background of Colossians, uh, he basically says that this is the book that's most relevant to the day based on the false teachings that it's addressing and how it addresses false teachings. And so with that being said, we're going to pick up in uh, chapter 2, verse 16, and we'll read through the end of the chapter right now. And if you don't have your word with you, uh, Shannon has graciously put it up on the screen for us. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and, word and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Reference, uh, referencing to these things, to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the, whole, to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we need your guidance. We need your wisdom. We need your understanding. We often promote things that point us to what we think that we need. We often hope to arrive to a conclusion or to a, a place and our efforts simply don't take us there. Father, tonight, turn our attention to Christ, the answer to it all. Amen. I guess that's my spoiler. That's the, the point of this sermon, right? Christ is the answer to all. Christ is what we are longing for. Christ is the answer. And what we are faced with, again, right here in Colossians chapter 2, is yet another false teaching. Tim shared several of those last week, and um, he, he introduced several, including Gnosticism, and uh, that question came up a lot in our LT group. I don't know if y'all's LT groups, y'all had that question quite a bit, uh, but Tim graciously put up a video on our page uh, going deeper into Gnosticism. Um, I actually had a very long week and didn't get to watch it yet, so I'm looking forward to catching up on that uh, in the next couple of days. I mean, there's a lot of false teachings, and it just keeps coming up over and over and over again. Satan is bringing lies to the body left and right. In the days the scripture was written, it was happening left and right. Right after Christ walked, the teachings came in, came flooding in about who he was and what he meant to do and all these kinds of, all these kinds of things. And, and even to this day, the, the false teachings keep coming up, keep coming up, keep coming up. 
Um, in the book of Corinthians, Paul is rebuking the, rebuking the, the church there, uh, not just one man's action, but the, the church's acceptance of his actions. And in chapter 5, he rebukes them because they had a man that was with his stepmom in that way. And he was accepted and even celebrated in the idea of tolerance. Look how loving we are. We've accepted this. And Paul comes in and says, what? Really? Don't accept that. Kick that man out. That is not what love is. But look what was happening. There was a false teaching of what love and acceptance really was, and it led to the acceptance of sin. How much more of a definition of our current culture do you want? It's a clear picture of where we are with a crazy false teaching of what love really is. We don't know love. We've given a very worldly definition. So we have a, a new movement of, a new age movement. I'm going to read another little thing that came from that article. It says, the new age movement is not new. It is the most recent repeat of the second oldest religion, the spirituality of the serpent. Its impulse is foreign to none of us. The appeal is ancient indeed. Its rudiments were subjectively sold to our first parents in the garden. Human pride was tickled, and it jumped. Pretty accurate for today, right? Yeah, that was written in 1988. We're continuing the same thing over and over again. It's, it's appeal to the individual. It's an appeal to the person, and it's putting forth what they think is right. When in reality, God has already told us what is right and acceptable. God has already told us what it is good, and we need to spend time aligning our beliefs with what he says is right. So yet again, we have another false teaching. I believe we have two false teachings that I'm going to point out tonight. I think the first one is just straight up outright heresies. I think the, the section before that points a little bit more into that, but there's just, there are heresies that are just outright lies. And often I look at heresies and I wonder, does that person know they're lying? Or are they actually mistaken to actually believe that? I think some of them, I think it's a case of both depending on heresy. I think some people know what it is and they're just using it for their own purposes. I think some people have just believed a lie of Satan and are sharing those. But I believe we see a picture of outright heresies. And I think the solution to false teachings like this is a solid understanding of who Christ is. If you just simply look in all of Colossians and all of Colossians chapter 2, it's just saying this is who Christ is. This is Christ. He is this, this, this. And if you look at the section, it doesn't actually name all the heresies that are there. But if you were in, if you were reading this letter, you would have known what it was addressing for sure. Because this was letters going back and forth between people in the church and Paul. And Paul was writing back going, no, 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 look, this is the situation you're in. This is the truth. And he might not lay out all the different things and say, hey, Gnosticism, this is why it's a lie. This, this is why it's a lie. But we see that he's addressing some very specific things, but all of the things that he says in response, he's just saying, look, this is Christ. This is Christ. This is Christ. And I think that uh, one of the reasons behind that, I believe, is that um, the heresies are going to keep circling. They're going to keep happening over and over. It'll be a little bit different every single time. But the solution to all of them is the same. This is who Christ really is. And there's no doubt that the people right here in Colossae would have known Exactly what Paul was talking about. Well, I think what God has left us with in Scripture, and coming from our spot, I think that we have a description that settles any dispute and any false teaching. This is who Christ is. 
And if we simply have that understanding, which I can't, I say simply, but it's not a very simple thing, right? Christ is big and we need to dive into the depths of who he is. But as we do that, when we hear something, we go, hmm, something's not right with that. And we might not even be able to call it out right away, but if we have a, a strong understanding of it, when the lie comes in, a red flag gets raised in our minds going, mm, that, doesn't, that doesn't sit well with what I already know about who Christ is. We know the truth of Christ. When lies come up, we know that it's a lie. The second false teaching that I want to point out, I believe that it's a little bit evident here, is uh, their practices that miss the mark. I think this is a big one that's right here in this particular section, starting in verse 16. And so there's a lot of practices that are false teachings that are just simply missing the mark of what is actually there. What am I talking about when I say that? What we see right here is legalism. We see a legalism. You need to do this certain thing. You need to do this certain thing. You need to practice this uh, ritual, do your food this way. And there's a certain rule of order and of things that you should be doing. Now, Israel was under orders to live that way. They had those laws in place, and those laws were leading them to Christ. But the believers here weren't under those regulations. They weren't under those laws. And there was no need for these believers to follow those laws. The laws were shadows that were pointing Israel for a very long time to Christ. And then you have a group of believers that were never Jewish people. The believers here were never under that law, and they've gone back to that law. And Paul's coming in and saying, guys... That those are shadows. Those aren't the real thing. There's pressure being put on you to look a certain way, act a certain way, and do certain things, but those things are not the goal. That's not what you were longing for. What you want, the substance that you desire, is Christ. Those things lead you to Christ. Don't make those things the goal. And that's what was happening. You had to look and act a certain way to have achieved it. Hebrews 10 tells us again, it says, The law is a shadow of the good things that are coming. The legalism is shot down throughout all the New Testament. John chapter 1 talks about it. Galatians 3 and 4 talks about how the law is no longer needed. We don't need the legalism we can look back and see that the legalism reveals the heart of God, but the legalism will not draw us to God. It has always fallen short, and that was one of the points of it. Here's the law. You can't keep up with it. Yeah, you never will. You're never going to be good enough, but Christ is good enough. And they were falling for it because they did not know the main thing. They did not know the substance. The substance belonged to Christ. I strive to be more, uh, more regular with the spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices. One thing I know is missing in my life is there's several actions that I should be doing more than I am doing. I am a very undisciplined person, so doing those actions is very against my nature, but I feel like I need to do these practices more and more. I think I need to fast all, more often and specifically get quiet before God and silence more often. Those are two things that I know are, that I am falling short on and should be doing, but I realize that Saying I've done those things isn't the goal. Having a weekly habit of doing it isn't the actual goal. The actual goal is that in those actions, I experience Christ and I draw near to Christ. But we like duties. We like things we can put our hands on and we like the laws and we often go back to them. 
Warren Worsby says, this is no surprise because human nature thrives on religious duties. The flesh is weak when it comes to spiritual things, but it is very strong when it comes to practicing religious rules and regulations. Somehow, adhering to the religious routines inflates the ego and makes a person content in his self-righteousness. Why do we so quickly go back to these things we can put our hands on? I think because these things are often concrete and we can have a checklist that we're doing the right things. But our minds are set on the wrong things and the wrong goals when we do this because we think that achieving something and doing something is the final goal when the final goal is knowing Christ. So we look at these false teachings, we have to reject these false teachings, but these false teachings feel like they are right and we are drawn to them because false teachings often imitate truth. False teachings often imitate truth. They have a little bit of truth tied into them, and that's why they're so easily believed by so many who claim to know Christ. But we see that they just have the wrong goals in mind, they can never be the ultimate truth. I think with legalism, what happens is they begin to glorify the tools over the treasure. Think about somebody who's on a hunt for a treasure. You're going on a treasure hunt. What items do you have? Man, first that map, you got to have that map to find your treasure. I actually love growing up and making maps to treasure. My kids do the same thing. They're always ready to make a treasure map and find treasure for it. And, um, you know, in making them, I had to teach them to X marks a spot. You know, that's super critical. But, you know, if you have a treasure map that you really are going after and you have that map, and that's the only map you have, how do you treat that map? You protect it at all costs. You keep it safe. You keep it in a spot where it won't get damaged. Nobody's going to take it. You protect your map. Then you have to protect your tools. You have to have your compass that's going to guide you there. You have to take good care of it. If you throw it down on the ground, you're going to break it. You're going to get lost. Of course, you need a machete. Why? Because this is my version. I want a machete. I want to shop. I'm going on a treasure hunt where I'm chopping stuff down because that's what I'm going to do in my mind. And you got to have your shovel because you got to take your tools there and you got to be able to dig your treasure up when you get there. So you get all these tools. You know that if you abuse your tools, they're not going to serve you and it's going to keep you from finding that treasure. So you, you, you treasure your map. You put it in a specific place that's going to take it. You might have a canister that you put it in. It's made of leather with a beautiful strap. Again, this is my version of my treasure hunt, right? And you take good care of it. You get your machete. You don't go walk around whacking trees because you're going to dull it. You only whack the branches and vines that are in your way. And you begin to use your tools exactly how they should be used. You keep them sharp, you keep them dry, you take care of them. And then you finally get to the spot where you've gone through the map and you're at the spot where your treasure is. And you just keep walking around treasuring your tools and talking about how great they are. You never pull out your treasure to dig up the treasure. You never pull out your, I'm sorry, your shovel to dig out the treasure. And you get to the spot where the treasure is and you talk about how great your tools are. Look at this beautiful map. How wonderful is it? And all of a sudden, you've taken the tools that were supposed to lead you to a place to accomplish a goal, and that is what you're now serving. Of course, you all are going, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But it's what we've done with legalism. We've taken the things that were designed to achieve a goal, to take us to a spot, and we've made them the end goal. And in doing so, we've missed the treasure. We've missed the treasure. There's false teachings. These false teachings are imitating truth, but they are not the truth. They can never achieve the purposes of Christ. They can never unite us with God because Christ is the only thing that can unite us to God. 
But these lies are rampant. They're going to keep coming. They're going to keep coming. So now how are we as the church combating these lies and ideas that sell, that sell the people of the world today, the people in our neighborhoods, the people, Casey, who are walking back and forth with a cart of groceries, the people that we build relationships with, how are we going to, to meet them and combat the lies that the world is telling them? Often the church wants to rant and rave about what's right or saying the church really wants to rant and rave saying that's not right. That's not right. That's the often cries that we hear from the church. But what we don't see at the very same time is the church making a proclamation of what is right. We spend more time talking the negative about what the world is doing and not offering Christ up and saying, guys, this is Christ. This is who he is. This is the God that we serve that meets us right where we are. And we spend so little time actually proclaiming who Christ is that the world never sees the actual hope that we claim to have. It's not legalism we need. It's, it's not legalism the soul longs for. The soul is longing for Christ. And we as a church have to direct people to Christ. Secondly, in this, in this process of debunking these false teachings and focusing on what's important, we must remember God's primary objective. Remember God's primary objective. If you were fortunate enough to make it out to the training that we did a couple weeks ago, or not too long ago now, that Jason Engel led, um, I hosted it through My Life Matters. We ended up using the fellowship hall here at East Rock. Um, Jason took us through five words that... Uh, that we have just a lack of understanding of the gospel. And one of those words was objective, and he quoted to us 1 Peter chapter 3, 18. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. What's God's primary objective? Bring us to God. We have to live with that in mind keeping at the foundation of all that we do, that God's primary objective in all that he is doing, what he desires to do is to bring us to God. That will teach us what we should be focused on. And as a church, we don't have focus. We don't have focus if we look around at our actions and our activities. We have so many that aren't focused on bringing us to Christ. There's so many that are focused on something just different. Let's do something good something heartwarming, something fun, and you get a group of believers together and they say, we need to do something, and I believe that's something that God has put in their spirits, that you should be doing something, but then we don't know what to do because we don't know God's primary objective. So we create events that do nice things, but they lack bringing people to God. They lack it. Many believers love to get lost in the weeds, they love to make mountains out of molehills, and we typically end up not being able to see the forest or the trees. We get lost. We read scripture, and we miss the big picture. We'll read little things, and it's possible that we're simply just, as a whole, as a church, we're cherry-picking little verses and talking about those, and when we do that, we miss the picture. I fear what's more likely, rather than just cherry-picking verses out of the Bible, we're typically just reading somebody else's devotion and thought that's really short on a half sheet of paper, and we use that one verse out of context. And then we take their bad ideas based on that one verse out of context, and then we say we love God's word, but we're not really interacting with God's word. And if we follow that pattern, we, we read scripture about the big picture in mind. 
Amy and I had a wonderful discussion with the group of uh, homeschool uh, high schoolers uh, last week, and we talked about God's wrath. And I got to have that same conversation with some kids in Bridge last week. And, uh, you know, every attribute we've done up until then, everything, every idea of God was, was quite heartwarming. You get to talking about God's wrath, and man, that, one's, that one doesn't make you just have the warm fuzzies inside. <laughs> That's one of them that you're just like, you, you end up having a conversation where nobody says a whole lot. Nobody's willing to jump in there and throw things out there, and it gets kind of quiet for a while. And that's the way it was. I mean, it was very much the way it was with that group. And, and uh, one of the first questions I ask is, like, how many of you are eager to talk about this one right here? And nobody's hand goes up. How many of you are a little bit reluctant to talk about this one? Everybody's hand goes up. And I said, how many of you does this passage, this idea make them feel good? And Amy raised, Amy's the only one who raises her hand. Everybody just like looks at Amy. Just, like she's really weird. I mean, I mean, she is, but in this particular case. And like, how? Why? And the, the, the conclusion that Amy and I talked about, or the one that Amy brings out and has this great conversation, is she says that God's wrath is an extension of God's love. And if you want to hear more of that conversation, go ask Amy afterwards. A lot of times we're looking at ideas not putting in the big picture. We miss the grand narrative of what is actually happening. And God has a beautiful narrative that he's painting throughout his entire word. There's an awesome children's book called the Jesus Storybook Bible. How many of you are familiar with that? Does anybody in here have a kid or a house with kids that does not have that book? I'll get you a copy of it. It's absolutely fantastic. If, if we talk about resources and I talk about kids, I was like, this is the one that you need, this one right here. The subtitle of that book says, Every Story Whispers His Name. And that's what I love so much about it. It takes every story and it's giving you a storybook version of God's Bible or God's story and and it talks about how every single story throughout Scripture is pointing to Christ. Every single story points to Christ. Everything that God is doing from the time of creation to the end of Revelation, it's all pointing to Christ. And we often miss this as believers. We don't keep that big picture in mind. We look at a story, we tell that story, and a lot of times we attach it to some kind of moralism, and then we're done with it. And the reality is that we, we, we can't. We have to back up and, and not do that. We have to keep God's, the big picture of what God's doing in everything that we do and teach at the church. And everything that we study and look in and dive in, we have to keep that in mind. Because if we don't, we will start focusing on the wrong things and making small issues big issues. Every single thing in Scripture points us to Christ. I don't think you hear me because this would excite you if you really got this. It's all pointing to Christ. It's all that story of God's love poured out in Christ and his death on the cross. Bringing us, reconciling us to the Father. That's all of it right there. From creation and the fall of man to the telling of Israel's history, it's all pointing out God's plan for salvation of the world. After Christ is telling us how to live the life and how to have it more abundantly. We look at scripture and get intimidated by not understanding what it means and what it's doing. That's what, it's, that's what it's, you're going to end up with. If you dive into scripture and keep diving in, that's where you'll end up at. Christ is the substance. That's what we're longing for. All of scripture is pointing us to that. 
Colossians is full of that as it talks about the preeminence of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. I want to keep going, but I'll end up preaching that section right there, and you don't have time for that. It's all pointing us to Christ. Remember, remember, remember God's primary objective. Lastly, focus on the relationship. If we want to help set our minds on this as we, as we pursue after the Father, focus on the relationship. Let's just equate it back to a marriage. It becomes a little bit more clear there, right? In a marriage, there's things that you do and don't do, right? There's things that are helpful. You know, you go calling the other person names. Things don't go well. You go talking to other people. Things don't end up very well. If you, if you make it a checklist of do's and don'ts, though, it also doesn't go well. Because with your spouse and, you know, I'll pick on, I'm not really picking on men, because I mean women, because it's the men that are stupid. But, you know, you have a wife that's telling you, I want you to do these things and these things and these things. And what they really don't want is for you to immediately get up and start doing those things. This is confusing to men, very confusing to men, because if you want to sit down and have a conversation with me for 15 minutes about the trash not being taken out, we can put pause on that conversation, something out right there, and I can take two minutes to go grab the trash and take it out, and we can forget this conversation and not have to have it. But the reality is that the women want that conversation, and it's not really even about the trash not being taken out. Ladies. Men are really confused by this. Very confused by this. Someone later on, will you please explain it to me because I'm struggling. <laughs> no, but what's desired? Why do they want to have that conversation? Because what they really want is to be heard and understood. That's what you told me, right? Because I got it wrong a bunch of times. <laughs> what we're really talking about right here is I want you to know what's happening with me. I want you to understand my emotions and my feelings. And if I treat you like a checklist, I'll say, Kelly, stop talking. I'm going to go take the trash out. And I know that's wrong because I've done it more than once. She's inviting me into a relationship, and she's inviting me in to understand where she is right there in that moment. In that moment, I want to take the trash out and be done. We have to focus on the relationship with God, not treat it like a list of yeses and nos and do's and don'ts. Because when we do that, it's burdensome to take the trash out. It's burdensome to do this, 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 whatever it might be that's hard between you and your wife. Because it's different for everybody. Some people don't mind taking the trash out. I don't mind. I just forget. And once I sit down, I don't want to get up. That's, that's really what it boils down to. If we're focusing on the yes and no's, we miss the relationship. We do that with God. We focus on it's my duty to show up for church. I'm going to sit down. It's my duty to read the word of God. I'm going to sit down and I'm not going to eat a meal today because I'm going to fast. And we focus on the duty behind it. And we're not understanding that all of those things are designed to draw us closer to him. And if you walk in, in any responsibilities, if you walk in, in, in as if it's a duty, you will never get the joy that comes from it. The joy is that these things are meant to draw us to God. 
And if you go unto them with a heart that is set on, all I'm going to do is just do what it says, and I don't really like it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to give my money right now, and it's just, God, you told me to give it, I'm going to give it. We never get to understand the joy of what it is to be free from the burden of loving money, of giving God control of that area over our life. We have to focus on the relationship side. Right now, my challenge tonight is for us to dig into the Word of God. This is the challenge that's for me, so I'll share it with you. We have to be more regular in the Word of God and make it a a crazy important part of our life. We plan around so many things and we give time to so many things. This is one of them that has to begin to happen. We carve out time to take our kids to sports and to do family dinners. This is of so much more importance. Make, Make it the same kind of priority in your life. We have to begin to read the Word of God to gain understanding of who we are. The Word of God will tell us who we are. It'll tell us how we fall short, and it'll tell us what we do repetitively over and over again. And we can look at that and we gain understanding going, ah, I see why I do dumb things all the time. If we understand the battles that we're in, we know the way to war against them. We have to read to understand who God is. God is revealing himself over and over and over again in his word. We don't read out of duty. We read to comprehend God and to dive into that relationship with him. If we don't know him, we don't have, we cannot have a relationship. We need to read God's word to understand what it means for us to be free to pursue God. I think we missed that one. God is not giving us a list of rules for us to do and to not do. He's saying, look, if you want to go deeper with me, try this. It's not just some heavy burdens for us to bear to make our lives miserable. I remember when I first started trying to give up music, at certain, like certain kinds of music. Man, I felt like I was never going to win that war. Because all I was doing was trying to deny my flesh. And denial of the flesh won't lead us to God. Not just, this is what it's talking about when it uses that word, asceticism. It's just, those things aren't going to work. A law is not going to work to lead us to the Father. We need to begin to read God's word to understand how to enjoy God. Not duty. Not more brain knowledge. We need to begin to read God's word in pursuit of God. In pursuit of God. The knowledge that we gain will lead us there. But don't read for knowledge. Read with the purpose of a relationship with God. Let's sum it up right here. We need to know God's word. We need to know who Christ is. To not fall for every dumb lie that comes our way from Satan. We're too easily thrown left and right by things that come up. Tozer says we, if we, we would relieve ourselves of 10,000 temporal problems if we had a right understanding of who God is. <clears throat> Christ is the substance. He is the goal. He is what our soul longs for. And in this pursuit, as we see how hard it is, don't focus on the pain that it takes to get there. 
Focus on the relationship that you are building. And in pursuit of a relationship, giving up things becomes easy. When I decided to marry Kelly, I needed to buy her a wedding ring. I was broke. I had no money. None. Uh, at the time, middle school campus life, now My Life Matters Middle School Club, uh, they fed their kids a meal every week. And for a month, I ate leftovers from those meals and saved all of my money. It was a very long week, the week they had cereal for dinner. I ate cereal so many times that week and in that month. But I had, I had a goal in mind. I was in pursuit of her. And so eating those meals was, was no struggle at all. To save all my money up and not spend it on food, it was easy because I knew what my goal was. Now, she would have married me without the ring, I think. But it was no burden to, to do that. Because look what I got. To deny the flesh becomes hard, but look what we get. Let's pray. Father, we need you. <laughs> to pursue you, we need more of you. To know that we needed to pursue you in the beginning, our spirits needed a quickening and awakening. We need to be made alive. And Father, as the church, you have made us alive. And in pursuit of what you have called us to, Father, we need more of you. Father, I admit my flesh is weak. And I often pursue the wrong things. Father, my desire is more of you because you have put that desire in me. It's what you made me for. So, Father, now as I know I should pursue you, Father, give me strength. Amen.